Hello and welcome to Eggamodities, a podcast by Eggam Museum. Hello everybody and welcome to episode four of Eggamodities, the Eggam Museum podcast. As ever, I am your host, Stephen Franklin. We are once again convened in the confines of Eggam Museum. I am still surrounded by four clocks that each tell four different times and there is still the stocks to my left hand side. As ever, I am joined by Egger Museum, Museum's resident dynamic duo, Miss Sarah Korn and Amy Stone. And as ever, I will always ask the same question I start every podcast. How are you both this evening? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time you've actually given me, know. you know, rather than a... Uh, I know, I thought I'd make an effort tonight. It's nice to see that you've been doing some practice and rehearsing. been doing my exercise. Yes, exactly. You've been doing some homework. And we're very lucky this evening to be joined by one of the most fierce and passionate feminists that I know, General Good Egg. Principal specialist, uh, principal diver. <laughs> it's not even that hard a job title. It's principal diverse record specialist at the National Archives, Vicky Iglukowski. Sorry, I completely made a hash of your uh, job title, Vicky, but otherwise, how are you? Uh, yeah, I'm all good. I have a, a long name and a long job title, so you're forgiven. He managed the, the name really well, but he struggled with the simple <laughs> job title. <laughs> well, thank you very much for uh, accepting the invitation and joining our oddity revolution. Um, how have you been? How are things at work? All good. It's just nice to be here back in uh, Egham, the delights of Egham. Excellent, excellent. And this, unlike our last guest, uh, Dr. Katie Carpenter, you will forever be shamed. You have actually stepped foot in this museum before the recording of this episode, am I right? I have, yeah, uh, a couple of times in the past. And has it changed drastically since your last visit? It has. I reckon I was here about five years ago, so it's changed immeasurably in a good way. Excellent. That's what we like to see. Uh, there's a brown paper envelope waiting for you on the way out. <laughs> yeah, all thanks, the positive words that you're saying. Um, and uh, have you been regularly listening to our podcast, I suppose? I've listened to episode one and I'm waiting to catch up and uh, yeah, excited to do so. What did you think of episode one? Did, were you going to save Mo? Yeah, loved it. I oh. thought so. Yeah, save Mo. He's, I think everyone saved Mo actually. Yeah, there's not been... There's not been it. No, get Mo out. Which is the right response. Really. It is. It is. And um, in terms of the activities at the museum, Amy, Sarah, anything happened in the last month that we should all be made aware of? got a new pop-up temporary exhibition very oh, wow. exciting me right behind us just here yes it's, i'm glad that it's behind you amy but those at home <laughs> aren't gonna know what it is it's all about st john's church which is the parish church of Egham, uh, who are celebrating their 200th anniversary of the current building this year but there has been a church on that site that goes back to about the saxon period oh yeah excellent yeah so there we go so it is true Egham is worthy of those brown sides that say historic, historic Egham. Egham. Oh, definitely. definitely. And I thought it was just Magna Carta. Yeah, oh, no, yeah. no, There's no. so much, so much more. And in other news, we have uh, branched out and uh, we are producing merch, are we not? Oh, yes. Merch, merch, merch. We're in it for the merch. 
Vicky, we shall give you your Bring on the Oddity badge. Yeah, at the definitely. We'll at the end that. of the uh, episode. Fantastic. I look forward to it. Good. Please, please take a picture of it everywhere you go. I will tweet it everywhere. Exactly. Yep. Definitely. Um, and if anybody's at home and they too would like a uh, Bring on the Oddity badge, we strongly encourage you to tweet us with a snapshot of you listening to the podcast or alternatively send an email to Egger Museum and we shall... Gladly put one in the post for you. Other than that, you should just be telling all your friends to listen because basically this is the best podcast ever. So I think we've done all the introductions and uh, it's that time where we insert that wonderful link I created that goes something along the lines of Bring on the oddity! What must the neighbours think when they hear that? As is seeming to be the case in most of our episodes these days, this is the moment I turn to you and ask, what wonderful oddity have you got for us this evening? So tonight I've got a dot 3627, but it's a bit of a curveball one tonight because that is a kind of uh, file of many, many different parts. And I've chosen three of maybe the most interesting. We'll see as we go through what... um, delights we have in store for us but it's part of our document collection which is in theory all paper-based but there is one item on the table you can see is clearly not paper-based which I got quite a shock by as I came through. Um, The three items that we've got are um, a 1878 which is two Austrian coupons marked Geo and Anthony. That sounds exciting. Thrilling I know (laughs) I'm sorry it's so exciting. Uh, and then we've got from uh, 1892, Henry and Geo railway carriage paid. Uh, and then 1905, George's hair, which got two exclamation marks on the catalogue card. <laughs> um, and all of these are related to George. I'm going to say de worm. I'm sure it's the worm or something. I think they're from Austria. Um, so apologies, everyone, for my poor pronunciation of their last name. But we don't really know anything else. About them. I've done a little bit of research on the family, which I'm sure I'll bore you all with later. But those are the three items. I can't believe you'd say that you'd bore anyone. <laughs> we shouldn't be boring anyone. That's completely against the tone of the podcast. <laughs> and, um, well, I'm pleased to see that this episode, unlike the last episode, you've managed to do a bit of research and we actually know what we're going to be talking about. Yes. But you have kind of once again thrown a curveball in and we're now talking about three items rather than one. Got to keep you all on your toes. It's true. It's true. It's true. You really do. Maybe, Sarah, we've got to rethink and uh, one of us should start choosing. <laughs> okay. Okay. Unless we get the guest to bring in an oddity. Ooh, that would be that good would next time. Yeah. Have you got an oddity that you might have brought with you this evening? Um, Obviously not your husband. <laughs> I, d- I don't think so. I'm not sure I could take anything out of the National Archives, oh. sadly. Mm. Not even just... We need a Magna Carta, don't we? Yeah, not even just for <laughs> yeah. a couple of hours. Is that not allowed? <laughs> just jump on the no, train with it, we'll no. be fine. Outrageous. Right, so um, which object are we starting with, seeing as we've got a triumvirate of success stories to go through? Yes, let's start with number 16, 1878, two Austrian coupons, Gio and Anthony. Goody, can't um, wait. So I will give those, I can have one each if there's two of them. Oh, thank you. There you are. It's all right, just leave me out. Sorry, Stephen, you can see get the lovely descriptions. Maybe they can describe them to you. <laughs> Oh, there's a bit of language in there that... Uh, language? That, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's a bit of language. There's a bit of foul language? 
language? What type of language? Rude language? Pleasant I language? Foreign language? <laughs> that would be the thing you're looking for. And my accent is atrocious. I mean, I said the worm. That's so true. It's true. So could you, could you do an Austrian accent? <laughs> no. Vicky, how's your Austrian? Yeah, I don't think so. It's Not only... even tempted to try? Well, it's only credit foncière uh, of Austria coupons. The rest is in yeah, English. I wasn't English. that oh, mean. Goodness. I wasn't that mean. The rest is in English. Right, so Sarah, what are, we, what are you looking at? For the benefit of those at home. I'm looking at a small rectangle uh, coupon, which is about the size of a cheque, I suppose. Um, and it has text that is both in black and red. And <laughs> very detailed some, description. I, I was, I'm trying to paint a picture of what is essentially it's like, like a cheque. It's like listening to Van Gogh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The way that Thanks. you're painting this picture in my mind, it's it's a masterpiece. So it basically has a date, uh, who it, this um, coupon was presented by, and their address, and the date when they left. This, this is a, raises lots of questions. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, that's why I chose it, because actually we know... Uh, nothing else. The only thing it says in the index about this is that it's from 1878, which I actually think it says on it. It does. Yeah. 1st um, of March. Two Austrian coupons, Gio and Anthony. So for a bit of context, I thought I'd tell you who... This is my, like, boring you with all the details. I think we should insert... <laughs> Wait a minute. We need to insert Nerdala. So Gio and Anthony. Um, George, Gio, is the second Baron de Worm. Um, An incredibly he, hip Baron de Worm. And he came, became the second Baron de Worm after the death of his father in 1882. And Anthony was his brother. And he became the third Baron de Worm after the death of George. Just for some context, in case you were wondering. I'm glad you've clarified that, because I might have had numerous sleepless nights not knowing who Geo was. Mm-hmm. So, Vicky, um, worth the trip to Egham so far? <laughs> loving it. Absolutely loving it. That's quite a strong response. Why are you absolutely <laughs> loving that? How does this compare to something that, say, the National Archives have in their collection, I suppose, would be an obvious starting point of questioning? Um, well, we have many, many items, about 11 million and a thousand years of history. So I'm sure we have similar things in our collection. Where they would be, I don't know. Like, um, this is the kind of slightly random thing that might just like kind of slip into some of the occasional personal papers we get a bit similar to this kind of collection. Um, so yeah, I would expect that we'd have similar things. But I can't say it's something I've ever seen before. So are we seeing here the uh, the difference between a... Uh local museum slash archive and the repository for the national record. Yeah, I thought it was quite interesting you said that you only have a few personal mm. archives. Is, Is that, that a policy yeah. to try and... Uh, yeah, so, so essentially the bulk of what we have just comes directly from government departments. Um, so in the past there have been exceptions to that where papers have been taken in. Um, so our recent exhibition... Um, on kind of love letters, for example, we have personal papers from Ramsay MacDonald, um, but that's a really kind of rare example. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, it's, yeah, it's the policy of what we're set out to, mm. to keep, I guess. Um, so actually for us, things like um, these kind of items, things like letters uh, that are written by individuals in a kind of more personal rather than government context are very rare. Mm. So yeah, it's exciting to be seeing this kind of material. Good. That's good to hear. Thank you. There you are. Free next yeah. month, by any chance. Yeah, exactly. The other thing I think 
it's fair to say is at least this has a local connection. We know who George and Anthony were, um, which is slightly more than we've possibly known about other things. Um, although I was a bit thrown by the Austrian mm. coupon. They are from Austria, which I guess explains it. But I don't know whether they got it while they were in England. It's kind of unclear exactly what part of their story this would tell or how we would use it. I can't imagine we'd use it in an exhibition, but maybe we would. What What is an Austrian coupon? Well, it looks like it says something about bonds as well. It's interesting. Part of it is written, well, most of the text actually is written in English, not just the handwriting, but mm. the, the form itself as well. So which country it kind of actually originates from mm. is kind of slightly confusing. Yeah, maybe it's it was something they had to do when they came over here mm. to give them, I don't know, some cash flow or, or credit or something. So... Nerd alert! Nerd alert again. <laughs> I love the fact that you're now self-policing your nerd alerts. Like, I think we've reached a new level of nirvana. <laughs> so this is from 1878, but George and his wife Louisa came to Egham in 1867. So this is when they were already in the UK and especially in Egham. So I really have no idea what the Austrian link is or why half of it or most of it is in English and then the tiny bit is in Austria. It's not in Austrian, it's in French, but it says Austria on it. So I don't know. Basically, I did some Googling, couldn't find out anything about this. So I thought I'd present it to you and see if you had any idea. Excellent. Thank you very much. You're not sorry though, are you? You're not sorry. Okay, given that we are really, you know, scrambling in the dark as to what an Austrian coupon might have been used for in 1878, I suppose a natural question would be, how does this fit into the museum's collection? And how might you use this as an interpretive tool to tell stories about the past? Notice I put on the the curator voice there. Like we'll start with the, the curator herself, or, <laughs> oh, or, as I sometimes, or as I sometimes like to call her, the creator. The creator. Not Pinky or the Brain. <laughs> Not Pinky or the Brain. Batman or Robin. Not Batman or Robin tonight, you're the creator. Oh my goodness. You're that's... on a par with God. Wow. Gosh, I'm going to let you down, I think, a bit here. <laughs> um, I think what's interesting about this a suite of items. Sweet sounds very grand. Well, I am the creator. I can... <laughs> My lingo is there. What's good about the suite of this <laughs> This. I feel collection? like we're in a really posh hotel. <laughs> <laughs> We've just ordered the top suite. Top suite. I don't know. I was on a track there, Amy. <laughs> I had a thought process. Sorry. That's fine. Um, what's good about this is that there is um, a link to a, a house, a local building. Mm-hmm. Uh, called Little Fosters, which has links to what is now Great Fosters. So immediately we have that local link with place, and we also have we have pictures, we have paintings by well known. Well, I say well known, but John Hassel is our is the uh, artist we talked about previously. Yes. Link to our Visions 2020. Well, testing you. I was going to say, I feel like the tables have been turned for a second there. You're the one asking me the questions. I like this. I like this, yeah. So already we've got that that link, but then I think the family is it's that personal touch. It's that what was their journey? What led them to become part of the Egan community? So that hasn't answered your question. It's just raised more questions. I think that's that's valuable in itself. We'll, uh, we'll deflect that to the expert in the room, yeah. Vicky. 
She's not thrilled about that. <laughs> You've worked on many exhibitions and, you know, interpretation is your fang, so to say. So what is the question? Sorry. Yeah, exactly. What is the question? <laughs> <laughs> so I asked you a question. You didn't answer my question, but raised a load of questions. I then flipped the question to Vicky. And then she said, what was the question? And then it was you saying to me, <laughs> what is what the question? Is the question? <laughs> we really how, know what we're doing. How That's would fine. we use this uh, yes. in next how would you? How would you, in all of your you know, professional you know, experiences to date, how might you approach incorporating this into an exhibition, I suppose? Um, I guess it's, yeah, it's dependent on the narrative of what we want to say. But it's, it's certainly, I quite like using items that, don't have all the answers and that people can kind of come in and ask their own questions of. So I think uh, presenting it in a way kind of like we've all discussed where we don't know all the answers, but maybe people can kind of try and guess at the provenance and things like that could be quite interesting. Um, and just the kind of international links, although we don't know the full thing, it's it's quite an interesting relationship with quite a small local place like Egham that you might not think would have that kind of, um, those kind of links to somewhere like Austria. Um, so I don't know, I think it just shows Put yeah. them on the map. Yeah, got yeah. linked with Austria. I'm also yeah. interested in this uh, by whom presented yeah. part. What does yours say? Uh, Rothschild and oh. Sons. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I recognise that. Bank of England. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, that is quite interesting. Oh, so they're not even the same? No, no, no. no, no. They're different items. They're both 1st of March, aren't they? Um, mine is 13th of March. Oh. Well. Yeah, so not far apart. But so you've got four items, not just three. <laughs> Wow, this is a bumper bonus edition, yeah. isn't it really? <laughs> we've, we've pushed the boat out. You've got four items for episode four. I feel four. like that makes, yeah, it does make it a bit more kind of yeah. questions in a way. Have you got a little signature on the side? Oh, it says... Is this like spot the well, difference? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, seem, I, I feel as though we've actually picked the worst medium to play a game to spot the difference, but hey, let's roll with it. See our social media for more pictures. Ooh, plug, plug, plug. <laughs> but now you've signed us up to the social media pictures. Plug, plug, plug. <laughs> Does, I've got this for Mr. Rothschild. It looks like Geo King on the side. This is yeah, this is where we more info on yours. This is where we go. Hand handwriting experts. We need your help. <laughs> yeah, there's normally, a lot of those normally we have the SOS on Twitter. Well, to be fair, normally it's Vicky is helping us out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I've become that person. So what we've established is actually they're both different. Yeah, they're both different. Sorry, but I should still don't know that much more about them. No. But we don't know much more about them. But I think you did actually raise uh, an interesting point going back to what you said, Vicky. You didn't um, sound so surprised. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so going back to your question, um, input there, Vicky, and the fact that you said actually that maybe an exhibition doesn't need to give all of the answers. Yeah, um, I think you limit yourself if you always have to pick items that you know a huge amount about mm-hmm. and interest can actually be the questions an item poses. I think that's pretty much our angle, is it? Yeah. I think it's fair to say that when people come into a place like this, I've definitely experienced it, I don't know about you, Sarah, but people come in and say, oh, I've got this photo which I think is from 1901 I think it's from this place in the high street. And then they look at us as like the yeah. experts because yeah. it must have been in Egham, so we must know everything about it. And I'm afraid that I don't know everything about Egham. I don't pretend to. And I think people are quite surprised sometimes because they think that the role of curator means that we must know everything. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's that we're just bad at what we do. I think it's just that the way that we approach things is to tell the stories that are accurate, but not necessarily, as you said, 
comprehensive of mm. the whole the whole story because I think it's more about what people think in response to what we have to say mm. than we are here to tell you the whole story of Egham as we know it as the experts. I don't think that's what we're here to do. And I guess here there's lots of living knowledge about the local area. Mm. So actually you might have more knowledge in some ways outside of the museum mm. or a different kind of knowledge that yeah. you can kind of also lean on. Mm. We definitely learn a lot as much from our visitors and our volunteers as we know to start with. I think that's true. Every time we speak to someone, definitely. we kind of pick up more and more information. Yeah. And then when you get someone who's actually really passionate about something and knows quite a lot, you go, well, you invite them yeah. to have that conversation with you and maybe do an exhibition. Yeah. Because we've got that flex. And what, that's what's really nice about the small museum. You've got that flexibility to go, right, well, let's do an exhibition about it. And that's how this current one around St. John's sort of happened. We've been working with them as the experts around their own building. Um, yeah. Do you think that that's been a kind of... Um, and I know there's a limit to how much you can comment on this, but a, a move away from that kind of expectation that a, mu- a museum or history in itself should be all encompass and complete to actually it's now, you know, it's perfectly acceptable to expose the bits you don't know. Yeah. Absolutely. I think as a community museum, we are, we always say we're for the community and by the community. And it's more than just our voices as a team as individuals telling these stories, I never want to be in a place where we're like, this is your history that we're telling you because actually people, a lot of what we do is in living memory, apart from anything else, history starts yesterday as far as kind of the museum collection is concerned. So we never want to be in a place where we're like, this happened on this date and this is what happened and this is how it happened and this is why it happened because actually people remember it and it's their families that we're talking about mm. so I think it's really important that that has changed over time uh, not to say that the way that it was done previously was wrong in any way but it's just the way that museums and the sector is evolving mm. it's about telling those stories in new and different ways mm. I think there's that golden thread isn't there of that as you were saying earlier the, f- the fact the key point we're not making it up as no, we're along, <laughs> it's based in fact it's yes yeah, that that's the skeleton but then the the kind of the the real interest is those personal stories that come out. And even with, I say this, with most ex- uh, exhibitions we do, we try to always have a, and can you add to this story? What else can you tell us? So at the moment, we're asking for memories of people who have been married um, or been baptised in a local church. Yeah, so we, we, want ha- to- we had a couple in today and I asked them, Are you, do you go to the church? Do you attend the church? Is that why you, because they spent a long time looking around. Said, oh no 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 we were married here in the 70s and it was really nice to sort of see that they wanted to see their own history reflected mm. back at them sort of thing and we're always kind of growing those stories as we go along so I think that's really nice about the temporary exhibitions that we do here. And Vicky the the themes that Amy and Sarah just kind of raised there um very eloquently may I say so congratulations. Thank you. Um, Thank you. But do they sort of also chime with your work, working in a you know, much larger national organisation. Yeah, I think um, talking about kind of the levels of knowledge that we have about our collections, for example, um, we have loads and loads of expertise, but our collections are so vast that we can't possibly know the whole history of government and every government department, um, you know, kind of over the thousand years of our collections. Um, so, you know, we have great knowledge in pointing people in the right direction, but we won't always have every answer. Um, and also at the very nature of the National Archives is that our collections are biased by the interests of government and that's how, why they've been collected in the past. Um, so they have incredible, amazing, rich things, but in my mind, they often work best when they're in partnership with 
lived experience or community groups or other perspectives so that we kind of get two sides of the story, I guess. Um, so that's kind of how I strive to work, particularly with diverse histories where government has often um, kind of had certain perspectives in the past that now might be kind of unacceptable. Um, yeah. And so to work with actual individuals that are part of that kind of group now is a way of kind of interpreting that and balancing out the, the government perspective. So, um, yeah, I think it's very relevant for a large national institution as well. It's good to see that there's that yeah. level of continuity there. Yeah. From small to large. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not what you've got, it's what you do with it that counts. <laughs> Isn't that? I've said that many more times than I'd like to confess. <laughs> so I think we've uh, we've explored all there is to explore with the uh, 1878 two Austrian coupons, Geo plus Anthony. So I think... Um, <laughs> That is what it's called. Like, I'm just sorry, we're just doing what we've got with what we've got. I'm just, I'm just being we, specific. Do we have any more information on the cards? No. The card? No. So the catalogue card itself literally says, Deworm, George, see enclosed list for details. And then on the enclosed list, which is handwritten, says 1878 two Austrian coupons, Geo and Anthony. I promise you, I'm not lying I'm not, I wasn't, I wasn't, to you. That is all we have. I was actually going to ask, do we know who donated them? <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, no. <laughs> no. That's we, really quite... So we don't know who donated wow. it. <laughs> we know who recorded it. I mean, it was a previous volunteer. Um, on the back it says, include. So as we said, the suite or dossier of things that we have in front of us. Oh, dossier. <laughs> includes uh, the will of George Baron de Worm. Who's George? Who I'm calling George Senior, which I think is a bit odd, but anyway. Um, 1866, the purchase of Milton Park from Mr. Perry. Uh, 1913, gift of Douglas fir tree, trunk to Q. What? No, I didn't choose that one for not sure. That would have been incredible. He's essentially, <laughs> he's essentially buying Christmas tree. He's from essentially, Q. Yeah. No, do, do, donating. Gift, yes, that's right. Very valid point. Um, and then 1907, newspaper cutting, are we Gabriel de Worm, he's one of the other family members, ben- benefactor to the poor. Uh, 1905, lock of hair from Georgia. That gets a like prize mention on the card because mm-hmm. everyone's a bit baffled by the hair. Uh, and then 1887, newspaper cutting, are we bur- burglary at Milton Park. So that's all we have on the card. And then individual items are listed on this handwritten piece of paper. I think it is, it's not not always surprising that we don't know the who donated, and that's part of the fun sometimes, but for such um, a huge collection, a huge collection really. with actually some really interesting curveball type yeah, items totally. that we don't have more, prov- well, more information about how this person, or hmm. uh, maybe it came from a house, I don't know. Yeah, it was recorded on the 11th of May, 1994, so it came in in the 90s. Mm. So a hundred or more years, yeah, a hundred years after most of the items in this collection, uh, and actually, the we also have um, dossiers of the other family members as well. So the way they've been grouped is by family member largely, uh, which I think is really interesting actually, because normally we just get things in like I don't say dribs and drabs, but we get individual items. This is quite significant in that we've got. I don't know whether it was us that grouped them. I don't think it was. I think it was the donor who had grouped them by family member. I don't know. The way that we do history isn't often often by person. It's normally by 
item, but this is by person. And that's why it's something I wanted to sort of bring up was how we catalogue and how museums mm. catalogue archives in their collection differently mm. or what would be the similarities to archives. And it looks like some whoever the donor was, who we don't know, and there's so many questions I'd like to have asked that donor. Yeah, totally. Like, how did they come across all of this? Was it one of the Duan family? I have no yeah. idea. So that's one question. But the second question is, they've obviously thought about how they want to present it to the museum. They've already put they, it together. They've curated it. They've curated it. Yeah. Yeah, which says a lot in itself, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure at the National Archives, you don't have these uh, high-tech index cards. Yeah, I was do. wondering that. So your catalogue... Primarily is is card based. Yeah. yeah, so we don't have a digital searchable collection. So when I uh, am rifling around looking for mm. items, I have the the paper collection. Uh, so each individual item is assigned a number, and each card uh, is attributed to a number as well. Mm. So this whole um, suite of dossier of items. <laughs> we make it sound so grand. <laughs> is the same item number, and then it's divided on this very high tech piece of paper. Uh, into kind of subcategories <laughs> there, uh, but we can't just search like the worm yeah. on, a, on a database, as I'm sure you probably can at the National Archives. Yeah, so yeah. Here. So we we can we can search by keyword at the National Archives, but it depends how something's been catalogued originally. You know, to mm. the extent um, whether a, a name of an individual would actually make the title of a piece. Uh, it might sometimes, but it yeah. it might not. So actually, if there were personal papers like this, it probably would be in the title, but otherwise, no. Mm-hmm. Um, but equally, yeah, it probably wouldn't be to the extent that it it lists that the interesting items that are inside it. So yeah, I probably couldn't put like hair on the catalogue and get a load of yeah. kids back, for example. But the thing, the reason that I knew that we had this hair was because I when I first started at the museum as a volunteer. I found an item that was in French and I was doing a French degree. So I was tasked by Sarah to translate the item. Which it took a while to do. Which to I did, in fact. <laughs> and I went to find find the item in the collection and the hair was the next item. And I, it, you'll see from the piece of paper, it literally just says on the outside, George's hair. And I could not open it at that point. So I opened it and, and since then I've been sort of interested by the hair because... We'll get onto the hair in a minute, but I think that's I kind of say, so I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but um, that's kind of how I ended up in this collection. And I think the thing about our collection, which we always say, is that we find sometimes we find the best things by stumbling across them mm. rather than. And I don't know how it works, National Archive, but you have to go and ask someone to go and get the things, mm. whereas we just sort of find things accidentally often, which ends up with some of our interesting things, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm very jealous that you get to kind of just stumble across something like that. So by all means, we order things up all the time. We might find interesting things um, and it might be by chance um, through searches on our catalogue or whatever. So we get a sense of that kind Mm. of stumbling across stuff, but not in the same way behind the scenes. So, um, yeah. I think that's one of the the great things about kind of a small museum like this. But, But I also think like, to take a completely different point in the fact that actually the way that the National Archives approached the art cataloging system, because you can't go into such finite detail, mm. actually you have no idea what's in the folder. Mm-hmm. Like you have you have a title mm. and a rough sense. Yeah. But at no point are you gonna know that this item's there, that item's there, which this paper catalogue does. Yeah. There are exceptions. So some things are better catalogued than others and some have had like funding grants and big projects so actually some things you might have a bound volume and every uh, few folios is is 
on the catalogue in depth and, you know, sender and stuff like that. But that's quite rare, uh, mainly, again, because of the right. amount of yeah. collections. Everything is on the online catalogue, but some things it's quite high level. So, yeah. And I think to some extent it's, it would be the same here, I imagine, but it also depends on the interests of the person at the time cataloguing something. Yeah, that They might pick up on something. I do a lot, for example, on LGBT history. Um, often in the past that just wasn't kind of added in the details on the catalogue. So it's a kind of slightly invisible, slightly hidden history. And now if we come across it, we might update that, but we have to come across it in the first place. Anyway, so um, oddity number two. Yes, so oddity number two. Um, I've got a tiny bit more information for you, but not really a lot at all. So it's an 1892 Henry and Geo, Geo's back again, uh, railway carriage paid coupon. So I, when I first picked this up, I thought this was a train ticket because it says um, somewhere on it, London and Brighton South Coast Railway, Guildford to Brighton carriage paid, which I think is a natural assumption that that would be a railway ticket. But I've done some more digging and I noticed that there's a load of like mud on the thing, uh, which is quite interesting. But it's basically based on my research, nerd alert, really sorry, is um, that it's linked to a brace of pheasants uh, so a brace is apparently usually, usually two birds, game mostly. So it's the pheasants on here. Um, and they were killed on the 12th of October, 1892. And this carriage token is from the 14th of October. So two days later in the same year. Uh, and it was, I think, posted from Baron Henry de Worm, who lived in Guildford at the time, to uh, George. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, that's a load of That was kind of impressive, actually. I think yeah. we're all speechless because we're like, what? We're not used to it on this, this is, podcast. This oh, is, no, it's an unprecedented is, amount of information. This is proper history. Yeah, so um, does someone want to describe it? I've seen it before. Does someone want to describe it to people? <laughs> well, you described the last one, so... Oh, yeah, oh, let's, let's, well, let's sort of describe the last one. It said it was a yeah. bit of a go. Yeah, true, actually. Um, sort of like mud. Yeah, it's, isn't it's, it like the gum that it's been I, yeah. stuck to something like that? Like a so it's got, yeah, carriage paid stuck to the back, um, Guildford to Brighton. So yeah, that seems to be kind of gummed on. So you've got kind of a bit of residue. Um, yeah, and then the other side, sorry, I'm trying to look at yeah, the other side as well. Yeah, good, good. Um, so yeah, you've got two barren de worms, uh, an address, Brighton, Sussex. And some other bits and pieces of details. Some of it's handwritten. Some of it's like kind of like a typed format. Um, yeah. What's interesting? It's got this corner slice. Yeah, I was it. quite. It's like a train ticket. It's been like yeah, stamped by the conductor yeah. or like Validated whatever. Validated. Kind of Validated. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought it was quite an interesting item because although it's a local family, mm. Baron de Worm, George de Worm at that time was in Brighton, and his brother Henry de Worm trying to pick, like, paint the picture of the family tree. Um, he was in Guildford at the time. So because George Dwarm lived in Egham, that's why we've got it, because it was part of this same collection. Mm. But actually, it doesn't have any local relevance at all, apart from the fact that he, at the time, was living here. But he wasn't here when that was used. I don't know, it's interesting. Gives you a bit more information about their leisure time, doesn't it, though, if they were hunting pheasants? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I suppose that the modern-day equivalent would be... Um, Keeping an Amazon parcel package? Yeah, like yeah. an invoice or like a delivery note. Yeah, 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 yeah. there you go. Delivery good, note. Good. But what does it, t- I don't know, I, I was kind of interested by what it tells us about the the two brothers. Like, why was one of them sending the other one pheasants? 
Mm. Were they dead or were they alive? The pheasants were killed on the whatever it, it is say? in October. Yeah, oh. it does tell you the no, date. That basically, they were it says that oh, look, does, these, yeah, these ones killed. have been exported fresh. Is two days later, they were they were yeah they were sent on the train two days after they were killed. Mm. They had a party, which is fine because I think you're supposed to like you know. And yeah. I've never eaten a pheasant in my life. <laughs> Please don't crucify me online for this, but. I think you were supposed to hang them for a couple of days after. Are you? Yeah. That's like the designated amount of time to let them like. Beyond that simple piece of information, I know nothing. No. <laughs> I was just giving you what I knew and even that could be wrong. Well, I was quite impressed that I managed to find out that brace meant two birds. Yeah. That's like the limit of my knowledge at this point. <laughs> was that the word that identified the whole game relation? Well, no, well so it says game on the top, top left. And then it does say Oh, I didn't see it. Yeah. So I completely, oh, yeah. I assume, so I think one interesting point, nerd alert, nerd alert. <laughs> I'm really sorry, is, that, You're not sorry. You're is not sorry. that I thought this was a train ticket and that's mm-hmm. why I chose it because I was thinking about people travelling around the UK and how mm-hmm. um, that might be an interesting point. But then I took ages to notice that it says game on it and it was from that pheasant. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just a completely different story to the one I thought we were going to be talking about. I think... I can see why you'd think it was a train ticket. And also, like, you're not looking for... I don't know, it's not something I would have even thought existed, like a... A delivery note. Yeah, for something like game. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you that I'm not just, like, losing my mind and thought that it was a, a train ticket. But. Right, so I think we've exhausted Oddity 2. Mm-hmm. So let's bring on the Piesta Resistance. I feel this, like, needs a fanfare or something. <laughs> Woohoo! Woohoo! Right, so I think now's about time we uh, move on to the third of our... Sweet slash dossier of oddities this evening. Amy, um, what possessed you to go for this one? Well, it's just some hair, isn't it? So it's just... <laughs> So blase. It's not, it's not your hair. It's not my hair. It's not Sarah's or it's not Vicky's. This person died about 100 years ago. He didn't die 100 years ago. When did he... No. Right. <laughs> you asked this time. To be fair. So uh, this is the hair of George de Worm, George Jr. So he was Anthony's son, second son, and he was born in 1902. And this hair is from 1905. So he's three years old. So just for the benefit, (laughs) if anyone's heard that, she's currently putting on some latex gloves. I don't want to touch latex hair with my bare hands. Um, So. It's wrapped in a piece of brown paper and it says George's hair 1905 on it. So I had to open it. I couldn't not if you What, because you didn't believe what I didn't was believe, written on no, the outside. I did not right. believe that it was gonna have hair in it. So I opened it up and it is literally a, a lock of hair. I do remember the moment when Amy was a volunteer back in the day. Back in the day, and it was one of the first things I I have a that very clear Visual in my mind. It was a big deal. Walking yeah. up and looking at over your shoulder like, what have you found? So all the information that I have to give you is that it says 1905, George's... Oh, I lied. He wasn't born in 1902. He was born in 1905. Um, so, which is quite, <laughs> wow, quite remarkable because he must have been born in January and this must have been... There's a lot of hair there for yeah. anyone who's listening. Yeah. Yeah. Amy's very poorly articulated. <laughs> She's not holding one strand. This it's is... a lot of hair. Yeah, it's so a hairy is... baby. <laughs> so this is from the year he was born. He died in 1969. And we the interesting thing actually, maybe it's interesting, it's interesting to me, is that, <laughs> is that we have hair, not hair, what hair? 
We have hair. Just that's the end of it. Yes, humanity has hair. It has had hair since humans have been alive, really. So we have photos of George Duan later in his life. So we've got photos of his wedding and things like that. And he's Don't bald. we have a picture of him as a baby though? Yeah, and we also yeah. have some ch- some like childhood photos of the family as well. So I just think it's quite. I don't know. I'm always talking about bringing stories to life. Is hair the best way to do that? I'm just imagining an exhibition that features various Body toupees, <laughs> various toupees of George's various <laughs> different <laughs> hairstyles across his life, which could well, be great, actually, you know because what? that would reflect changing fashion. It would. So, yeah. And that would be changes incredible. Changes stages of life, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's going for his punk phase. <laughs> Amy's Amy, smelling put it the hair. You don't need to smell it. <laughs> but seeing as you did give it a good whiff, what does it smell like? doesn't smell of anything. Oh, odourless. Odourless hair. But it, I don't know. I don't mm. know where you want to go with this conversation, but why do we have hair in the collection is my main question. You're the one that's doing the research. <laughs> well, I have nothing to give you. There is nothing, <laughs> there is nothing else. I think there's, there is a tradition, is there, in mm. some mm. families? Yeah, but you normally collect the first haircut. Maybe that was. This is yeah. a lot of hair for a first time. Maybe they just kind of scooped it all together. Yeah, it could be. Maybe it wasn't such a hairy baby after all. I mean, it's a lot of hair, yeah. It's curly too. It is. I think it's it's interesting that that's what someone chooses to save. And like you say, Sarah, it's like it is a tradition and everything. But yeah, the fact that someone put value on that in the past mm. is interesting in itself. I'm just going to tell you my hair story. Go, go, go. Well, I can't wait. Well, it's not actually that exciting. It's basically my mum has some of my hair in the airing cupboard uh, in the bathroom. But I know this store, Sarah. I know this store, Sarah. I know this store. Take 10. I know this story. Sarah. Um, I know this story, Sarah, and it's not... I'm I'm still struggling there. And it's not as simple as that, is it? Yeah. It's in the air cupboard. Yeah. My mum and dad's bathroom, next to the towels, in a little box. When was it? So, when I was younger, um, back in the day, before even Amy was born... Um, that was last year. Then. That was, yeah, so, yeah. so no longer is it BC like AD BC AD. It's now it's like BA. BA, and then when presumably <laughs> eventually popular clubs, it'll be AD. Yeah, they are. So that works. But at the moment, it's like when Amy was four and when Amy was yeah. ten. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to your hair story. <laughs> so when I was younger, my I I didn't cut my hair all through my primary school years. Um, just grew it. It was long and because I was quite short, it was down to my bum. <laughs> I could sit on it. And I was going preparing myself to go to secondary school, go to big school. Um, yeah, my mum plaited it for me. Gave it all a nice wash, plaited it. And then in the bathroom, where the hair is still stored, she... So never left the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> she cut it. So she, so, uh, so it's in a plait. Oh, so it's not just like a little bit of your baby no, hair. No, like, I definitely thought you just yeah, meant like, Oh, really? Yeah. Is this not, is this not a normal thing? My mum's got... This is going to sound... Sorry, mum. This is going to sound really weird. My mum has my teeth, like my baby teeth. I think my mum might. Yeah. That's the kind of thing my mum would collect. I think my yeah. mum's got my teeth. I mean, my mum is growing a second me in the head yeah, just like a <laughs> <laughs> different like, part of you. But that's quite an interesting point in terms of like what constitutes a personal collection. So personal family photos, your platform when you're in secondary school. I'm donating it to the local museum. My teeth. <laughs> 
whatever it may be, what then makes that useful to a local history museum? So it comes back to why have we got this hair? I don't know. It was part of a group of items, and I think... Yeah. It's just... It was probably just squished in there when it was handed over by the donor, maybe, as a, they've got a selection of items here about the Williams family, especially George. And maybe they didn't realise the hair was in there until yeah. they were investigating a bit further. Yeah. And actually, it's part, part of that package now. Yeah. It's mm. part of the whole I, thing. I always feel like this selection of stuff, it's quite odd and random, and maybe it's been pulled together, and we've spoken about how it might have been kind of carefully compiled and everything. But I almost feel like it could be like a um, shoebox under the bed or yeah. something. A little bit random. Someone didn't really know what they were coming across. And so you get all the interesting bits that someone maybe wouldn't, if they'd gone through it thoroughly, maybe wouldn't have handed over. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it feels like that kind of suitcase under the bed or shoe. Yeah. Definitely, especially if George died in 1969, then it could have been in mm. someone's loft for a, a number yeah. of years. And then in 94, when they were clearing it out, they had the they rediscovered it, the new owners. I think on its own, like, it's odd, isn't it? <laughs> I would like you for agreeing that it's an oddity. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, Stephen. I, th- I think it's odd, but I reckon there's probably a lot of similar things in, yeah, have you, ever, the country? have you ever stumbled across some hair in the National Archives? I have. Um, I was tasked with looking for it, though. Oh, um, so a strange a request. A little bit different. How does one, A, get tasked to look for yeah. hair, and B, yeah. find it. hair? Yeah, so um, we had an outreach project that was about, maybe it sounds a bit odd, but about hair, because it was such a kind of relatable thing, mm. basically. So a lot of it was done through looking at photographs um, and things like that. But, yeah, my angle was have we got any actual hair in the archive? So I had to look. Um, and I did find... I love how that's... I just had to look. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was one of the weirder tasks that I've um, been given. Um, or given yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It was, it was literally... It was given by our outreach team to me. Okay. So, oh. yeah. I, I don't think I would have even come up with it myself because I don't think I would have even ever thought to look for it. Um, but, yeah. I, I kind of did some digging and actually there were some references in the catalogue um, so I was able to kind of find it that way, but, um, yeah, it kind of comes up in very odd places in our catalogue. So some of it's things like chancery cases. So it's used as evidence. Um, so, uh, for example, I think there was a case where it was used as evidence of kind of, um, attachment to someone. So, um, it wasn't a divorce case, but it was something similar. And it was like, um, you know, what was the relationship of these people? Do they care about each other? Enough to hair keep each was, other's hair. Yeah, basically. Um, and actually there was a cast of a child's foot and stuff like that as oh, well. Wow. So there was all sorts of kind of um, items that were kind of trying to show love and connections within this family. Um, so that kind of thing. So yeah, chancery would get quite a bit. I say quite a bit. It's still rare, but there's occasional mm-hmm. cases. Um, so particularly, yeah, kind of 18th, 19th century um yeah and just other bits and pieces um so we have again like very rare personal papers but when we do sometimes there are locks of hair in there often it's a child um but we have references to people having locks of hair from a friend as well so I think that's quite a nice you don't necessarily think of okay, okay. <laughs> it could be a bit freaky <laughs> but I don't know lock it. like it's a very Victorian thing to put yeah yeah exactly yeah so what I haven't found which I thought given that I I was kind of coming across hair I thought I'd see kind of uh lovers giving locks of hair haven't come across that yet but yeah friends parents keeping children's hair Um, that's quite common people keeping 
kids first like, yeah, hair definitely. cuts and stuff yeah, yeah when, I, when I first came across the hair like so I was I was kind of um asked to do this research like it was kind of just before Christmas so most people had gone home for the year we have a staff reading room and it was completely deserted and I was just opening up packets of hair completely on my own <laughs> in like with the lights occasionally going off it was very creepy because yeah. it's a little bit creepy there's something a bit unnerving about having yeah. like such a obviously like a personal thing but I guess it kind of is like I think it is and I think that's the value of it as mm. well as the slight oddness now mm. yeah because like you know part of George de Worms is in the room yeah yeah it's 115 year old hair mm. also how amazingly does it kind of survive yeah that was the I don't thing. know anything it about survives it. really well there's something quite tactile about it definitely <laughs> but I'm just gonna <laughs> leave that there <laughs> 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 But would you would would you ever consider putting hair in an exhibition? You know, I probably would because it is so bizarre. Yeah, and in, it and it brings relation. up those stories, yeah. doesn't it? Of oh, my mum's got my first haircut, my mum's mm. got my teeth, mm. right? Whatever it may be. I mentioned to a volunteer before we started recording that we're going to be talking about a bit of hair, and she and I told her about my hair story. Mm. She said, "Yeah, I've got my yeah. daughter's hair." Mm. Yeah. You're just saying this. Thing. No, <laughs> no. And she said she's got a tooth, first tooth. Yeah. Well. So actually, I think a lot of people will relate to that. And that's partly what we're trying to do. Yeah, kind of make, make these relatable yeah. stories. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it's nice to make think, people think differently about museum and archive collections. And I think kind of hair does that. Yeah. But it's also oddly relatable. Um and our current exhibition on kind of love in the archives, we did consider um, displaying hair because it is so often in the archives as a kind of sentimental thing. Um, and the only reason we didn't was just the narratives we could fit in couldn't kind of do justice to it. But otherwise, I think there's possibly also a conservation side to it. I don't know how displaying hair works. Mm. But yeah. Yeah. We'd have to look into that. Definitely. But I think the value of it is exciting. It's but you can't get much more personal. No. No. And we're always talking about kind of stories of real people. And I guess you can't get more real person than their hair. But I also think in the context of a selection of items, mm. it's it's one nice personal item next to maybe yeah. written material and it kind of brings it collectively to life. And that. actually, unlike a lot of things that we have in our collection, we've got a photo of George Dewan from around this time. Yeah. So actually... If you're thinking about it from a display perspective, having, whether we need to look into the logistics of displaying mm, hair or yeah. not, having dis- hair on display next to a photo of the person that the hair was taken from at roughly the same sort of time does kind of bring to life those stories in a way that we're not often able to do. So actually, although I think the hair's kind of weird and a bit creepy, it's, I don't know, it is kind of a personal thing. Maybe I'm coming around to the idea. Well, maybe, maybe weird and creepy is a good thing though. Maybe yeah. Good. True. Yeah, valid point. What I really like about your point earlier about it sounds very shoeboxy, that made me think about, well, actually, if someone has collected these items, it means they have really personal meaning mm. to them. We could probably guess why the hair is there and has got a bit of meaning, you know, first haircut for the parents. But the other items, we looked at the, the game ticket and the bonds. It makes you think, well, what was, was that a really significant time what was the story behind that so what made them keep it long yeah. enough and I think when you think about that you can you can go okay everyone 
curate your own shoebox memories exhibition. You if know, you were going to do a museum with you, yeah. what would that look like? Yeah. yeah. I think that's quite nice. I think we've got, I think we've got project here. So I'm just trying to move the hair out of my way because it's freaking me out a bit so you can stop touching it. <laughs> that was the latex glove. Oh, it's really sweaty. I'm sorry. Oh. Lovely. Lovely. Brilliant sound effect there. Yeah, it was. Yeah, no need to, no need to put the sound effect in there. Um, so it sounds like we, you know, we're on, we're on board the hair. Mm. Which is not where I thought we were going to go with this. Really? really? Yeah, I didn't like the hair when I started. See, I already have, you know, because of my own hair story. <laughs> yeah, because your, your own personal lineage. And I've never had as much hair. As then. As then. So, you know, I could just clip my ponytail back on, couldn't I? Oh, Next what? time you see me. There would be something really kind of strangely odd, but also fitting if your hair extensions were made from your, your own, own hair. hair. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. some hair extensions are real hair, though, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. But, yeah but never your own. <laughs> true, true. That's pretty unique. Yeah. Very unique. Unique Echo Museum. Yeah, I could do some different hairstyles. You know, I could have it over here, over my head, like a crown or something. No? Go full, go full princess <laughs> layer on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Love that. Love that. But, okay, so, you know, I'm still... Are you a, just trying to make some sense of what we're doing? I'm still a bit fascinated by the, the hair, really, because I'm, I'm not as much as a convert of you, convert as you guys. Um, I mean, there's also another conversation about whether... And, and I know that hair is slightly different, but the displaying of like mm. body parts, etc. Oh yes, that's where's exactly. where's the line drawn? So I know yeah. it's got you know zero bants attached to it, but it's an interesting conversation that I think we should have. Okay. okay. Well, there is an act. There is the human tissue act, but that I don't. Why do I think all the nerd issues? These things like human tissue act. I know. Actually, not once have you pulled out a parliamentary act, but it you're was, the nerd in the situation. Well, apparently the nerd, even though Sarah can reference a tissue act. Well, the original was probably in the National Archives. <laughs> but I don't know exactly the year. I've, I've let you down there, sorry. But there is a Human Tissue Act. I, it obviously covers... Human tissue. Human tissue, but also internal organs. And Does it cover hair, I though? don't think it does. Mm. I'm not sure, but it would cover other... I imagine fingernails and teeth and but hair—that's a very. I'm gonna have but, to. I'm gonna have to reread the Human Tissue Act. To find and that how it's been read once. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolute page turner. Oh yes. So now we ask the question. It's the moment that this podcast is entirely built around. To keep or not to keep—that is the question. Is the three oddities the oh. triumvirate? The triumvirate of artifacts, documents, hair, are they worthy of keeping? I start. Ooh. We're all looking like, no, don't pick me. You're like... all looking sheepish. <laughs> I'll start with Sarah. Sarah. I would keep. No question. I've talked myself into this from the beginning, actually. I was always quite, maybe I was a bit biased already because of the hair. You have a personal connection to it. I've got a personal connection to it, but finding out more about the links to Great Milton Park, the stories we can tell, the exhibitions we can spin off of it. Yeah, definitely keep. Vicky? Um, 
Yeah, I definitely think heat. And I think heat primarily because of the hair. And I don't know if that's controversial, but... Um, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Get rid of the documents. Yeah, <laughs> the documents for context. But um, no, like, to me, the hair is just... It's a unique, interesting item. I feel like it could be a hook. Like, if you had a case of stuff, that might get someone mm, in. Yeah, and then so. they look at the other documents. So to me, and maybe it's because we have a lot of written material, for example, at the National Archives, but items, physical things... Um, I think they could just be really interesting. It's a really personal item. I think without the context of the other documents, it would be kind of far less interesting mm -hmm. to not know who it linked to, I think might make it kind of different. Um, but having the combination of the context and a really interesting odd item, I think is quite a winning combination. So I definitely vote keep. Right, that's it. <laughs> we, we've already decided to keep it. So actually, Amy, your opinion, home, your, your opinion doesn't really matter from this point <laughs> onwards. That's really nice. <laughs> However, in true X Factor style, I will ask you just to check to see which way your vote would have gone. Well, if you'd have asked me when I first found the hair and the other items which I chose, I would have said absolutely not. Nothing, like, I really didn't see the value in the hair or the... When you found them for the podcast, yes. when you first came across so the hair. So when I was kind of looking through, I thought... Well, so the game ticket is sent by someone in Guildford to someone in Brighton. So if I've got my, like, we need an Egg and Blink hat on, that doesn't have an Egg and Blink. The Austria coupon, Austria, not Egg'em. And then the hair is part of our document collection, which I would normally say is, is our paper collection. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of throwing me off there. So I would have said, no, actually, these aren't things that I would have kept in the museum collection. But then actually doing a bit of research and kind of having this conversation... Maybe I've been swayed to keeping them, but I think it's um, a testament to the fact that it's about the stories that you, it's not what you do, it's kind of how you do, how you tell the stories. And I think that's the really important thing about them. So I suppose I would keep them now I've, I know a bit more about it. And I think also just to say that yeah, you do raise a good point that the, the Austrian, there's nothing that links Egham to the, the, the game ticket or the coupons. So if we were just looking at them and going through my criteria... I, yeah, I was going to say your criteria. I what have completely... I thought we were going to get through a podcast without, without talking about sorry. the criteria. <laughs> this is, have you heard about my criteria? You, yeah, you, you to need to hear podcast. about her criteria. Yeah. Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> we almost need an other column on it, maybe, yeah. for interesting, unknown... I don't know. Maybe that's... I guess the egg... <laughs> so we're talking about kind of the criteria and how much of an egg and connection it is. I mean, he lived in Egham. He that's lived in Egham in like a significant house in Egham. Yeah. But um, we did say last time... Just because just someone because who someone... owns it in Egham doesn't necessarily yeah. mean... So I think it's a really nice way of showing connections outside Egham. Yeah, true. The unexpected links to different countries. So I think, yeah, I, I don't know enough about your kind of collection here, but um, I don't know, that seems like a nice thing to me. That, like, if you can get the right balance of someone significant in Egham. That's <laughs> nice. International links to Egham. Yeah. 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 I think that kind of raises the point as well, though. If this... So this is obviously of a, a wealthy family, a well-known family locally. If this was kind of Joe Bloggs's hair, mm. who lived in Egham mm. at like not as, as significant a property as Milton Park, mm. are we attributing the value to this because they were a, a family of wealth and also a family of kind of notoriety? Like, are we then swaying? Yeah, and is being it, biased. Are, are we swayed because they were barons? Is mm. essentially kind of what I'm. I guess I think there's something nice about the international side. So I guess their wealth does mm. maybe make that international connection or presuming they kind of travelled back to Austria mm. made that easier. But 
otherwise you could you could have people of different classes that still descended from other countries so i think that part yeah i'd like to think that was still yeah if we were going to put it as part of the story the narrative could be we we would actively search for those of different class and status Mm. to complement yeah so I think we're still in I agreement. Think we're still keeping it. Yeah. I think we're still keeping it. I don't know. Like, I'm just going to throw one mark, one bomb. In a little curveball. Little curveball in just for the uh, just for the bants late on in the pod. But you know, you, you sort of said about you know, is it just because he's a baron? Is it just because the Dewarms are, um, you know, well well renowned, well regarded locally in Egham? I mean, to a certain extent. The collection left behind by Emily Warding Davison are, you know, to some might be a bit odd, random. Because of? Because of what we, happened later. Because yeah. of what happens yeah. later, it therefore becomes, you know, if she doesn't do that at, you know, the race course, then... Mm. Her train ticket. Her, her yeah. train tickets. Would it have had Is that, that just an excuse for us all to collect loads of things in case something significant happens in our lives? <laughs> is that kind of... is? Did things become more significant in retrospect? I don't know. Is or do you attribute value to something retrospectively? Because at the time when he was born, he wasn't necessarily that significant. Yeah. Not that I don't know. People are always significant. I think when they're telling their stories. But like that point about Emily Wilde and Davison, she just, and they can be in many other points. You, you, you know, like anyone examples, significant who's but, done anything kind yeah. of big in that sense. But like our museum collections just by chance because people happen to collect things and then become significant later in their life. So basically, should we all just collect things more often is kind of the point that you're making about because we don't know what's going to happen. In a shoebox. In a shoebox, under the bed. With relevant memories that are clearly catalogued before you then donate them to the museum. Yeah, Yeah. and actually uh, give a bit of context. It goes back to that conversation we started having about the uh, the Amazon and the PS mm. sort of package mm. ticket. We DPD style. DPD, yeah. DPD style. <laughs> <laughs> we went, uh, we would say, sort of say, no, throw away, you know, we wouldn't worry about that. But um, somewhere, yeah. someone somewhere will be collecting mm. yeah. all I, different types of labelling. Yeah. And I do think it's it actually that kind of thing says a lot about the world we currently live in and... You know, it's now really regular to get those kind of deliveries, and actually, it seems mundane to us now, but could be quite significant to someone yeah. in the future. It's like the history of the it's the history of the mundane stuff that yeah. often I I find kind of most interesting is when you're looking at people's what they would have said, like you said, mundane or day to day. Actually, giving us an insight into how their day to day life was, yeah, isn't something that's like huge to them, but might yeah. be significant for us. That's why I quite like these items that we've looked at today because I think they are quite in some ways just day-to-day things mm. but the kind of things we'd undervalue normally and yeah. in our own lives wouldn't think we're significant but mm. can tell us quite a lot fantastic guys i'm so glad that i introduced that bombshell that, <laughs> that last minute bombshell right yeah. at the end just to you know wrap things up nicely and that well well that's it that's a clean sweep we're keeping George, you're safe. You're safe until Geo. the next podcast. Geo, Geo Ruff, you're safe. <laughs> until the next podcast in which your collection's talked about, potentially in 100 years' time. Imagine if the podcast is still going. Still going, going 100 years' time. <laughs> crazy times, crazy times. As ever, I need to give the biggest of thanks to our wonderful guest, Victoria Iglikoski. You have been incredible. Give her a round of applause. 
As for Pinky and the Brain, once again, you've stumbled your way through in a way, <laughs> in a way that only you can. <laughs> yep. But until the next time, keep, keep collecting. collecting. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Egum Oddities podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you've liked what you've heard, be sure to subscribe. And if you're feeling particularly generous, leave us a nice review. See you next time.